Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this special edition of the show, we'll take a look at what has taken place at the Group of Twenty Summit in India. Leaders of the Group of Twenty World Top Economies have just concluded their summit in the Indian capital of New Delhi. While national governments shared common concerns over issues like food, energy, supply chains, their positions over the war in Ukraine were polarized. Some Western leaders tried to pull the global South into their camp, but failed. What's the G20 platform for? Is it still pursuing the mission of improving global governance set by leaders of these countries when they first gathered in Washington in 2008? For these questions and more, I'm joined by Swara Singh, Professor of International Relations at Jawaharlal Nehru University; Zhang Baohui, Professor of Government and International Affairs at Lingnan University in Hong Kong. Thank you, and a big welcome to the show to both of you.、Uh, now, let's start with one of the biggest developments、uh, during this year's、um, summit in India.、Uh, so, the African Union was granted permanent member status in G20 in New Delhi.、Um, now, maybe let me start with Professor Singh. What is the significance of this? Do you think, and why is it important to include the African Union into the G20? Thank you,、uh, Liu Kun, for having me on your program. I think the first big achievement of、uh, the G20 summit meeting in New Delhi was definitely inclusion of African Union, that represents 55 African countries,、mm. within first few minutes of the first session beginning in New Delhi. Now, of course,、uh, why is Africa and African Union significant? Uh, for multiple reasons, indeed, Africa has、uh, first of all enormous uh, uh, reserves, which are significant for redeeming the global economy、uh, post-pandemic and post-Ukraine、uh, crisis.、Uh, it could be traditional uh, important uh, minerals, like for example, 60% of gold reserves are in Africa. Africa also has、uh, large reserves of diamonds, of uranium.、Mm. But also the materials which are very futuristic in their demand, like magnesium or lithium, so it has reserves, and that has attracted powerful countries for centuries. But colonial countries usually had the extraction method of taking away important wealth of Africa without helping them to develop and grow themselves.、Mm-hmm. And、so in that sense, today Africa, for the first time, sits on the high table along with both the most advanced countries of G7, but also with emerging economies, and has a voice and a vote as to how decisions at the global level by the G21 now will be made in that sense. And very quickly, I think Africa is also continent of future, with median age now at 18. That shows that unlike Europe, which is already Facing the aging population,、mm-hmm. or Asia, Japan to begin with, China peaked population last year. India in few decades will start growing old. Africa will have young population for half a century in the coming times, and that I think is also going to shift the focus of consumption, of production, of services to Africa. 
and finally i think the attempt india made was to make g20 holistic inclusive diverse and democratic and i think inclusion of africa was a great symbol mm. uh, and will also have great impact in future deliberations of g21 countries mm, right professor jang what's your take on this issue why is it important do you think to include the au into g20 yeah Uh, first, I, I fully agree with uh, what Professor Singh has uh, just uh, said um, in his answer to your question. Uh, I just want to add that uh, the inclusion of the African Union is also consistent with the original goal or spirit of the G20. G20 was created to be a truly global mechanism mm. to coordinate countries' actions to respond to the biggest challenges to the mankind. And so the addition of uh, the African Union reflects that goal of diversity, inclusiveness. And uh, in fact, I hope that um, uh, down the road, uh, the G20 could also uh, incorporate other non-Western regional organizations, such as the ASEAN uh, mm. Organization of uh, um, uh, American States. And mm. so that would make the mechanism a truly global institution. Mm-hmm. And we need this in the in 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 the age of a new Cold War, you know, because the cold, new Cold War is dividing countries, pulling them apart, forcing countries to two sides. We need the G20 to expand to include everyone, to provide a unified platform to resist the trend of uh, strategic competition, uh, great power rivalry. So mm-hmm. I hope uh, in the future maybe more uh, non-Western uh, regional organizations can also be inc- included. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the th- uh, thorny issues, um, you know, during this uh, year's summit in India is how to uh, address the war in Ukraine. The joint communique coming out of New Delhi has this to say about the war in Ukraine. For the, for our listeners, here I quote. Um, We reiterated our national positions and resolutions adopted at the UN Security Council and the UN General Assembly, and underscored that all states must act in a manner consistent with the purposes and the principles of the UN Charter in its entirety. Well,、um, this statement wasn't uh, reached uh, easily. So, when talking about the statement regarding、uh, Ukraine. Uh, talking about how it was reached, Indian External Affairs uh, Minister uh, Jai Shankar said, "Again, here I quote: It is in fact that this is today a very polarizing issue, and there are multiple multiple views on this. There are a spectrum of views on this. So I think, in all fairness, it was only right to record what was the reality in the meeting rooms."、Um, Professor Singh, what does the polarization on the wording? Of the war in Ukraine, tell us about the G20, the organization, and the positions taken by national governments.、Uh, I fully agree with you, Lyukon.、Uh, this was a very uh, complex uh, challenge that、uh, the host country India faced. In fact, a、uh, few hours before Indian Prime Minister announced、uh, at the end of first session itself that、uh, he was proposing adoption of the New Delhi Declaration. Most estimates were still talking that、uh, the consensus may not be possible, and it could end up just with a chairman's statement. So it was a bit of a surprise、uh, that finally the final declaration was clinched, and、uh, so early in the discussion time, in the at the end of the first session itself, they still had two sessions to go. 
so uh, definitely there is uh, a change of language uh, fundamentally uh, presenting what was the real situation in the meeting room where uh, india decided to record that uh, uh, we respect everybody's opinion here mm. and uh, with that along along with this i think two things i want to underline which are significant to uh, appreciate one that recently you see the uh, grain deal between ukraine and russia uh, has been stalled mm-hmm. uh, grain exports are not happening out of ukraine and uh, there is efforts around the world being made especially turkey is making enormous efforts to revive that deal and russia wants uh, to have the sense of uh, equality saying that if ukraine can export its food grains Russia should also be allowed to export grains, and therefore, if you notice the wording in that paragraph, it clearly says uh, that all the countries of G20 agreed that, in the name of highlighting the fact that world is facing hunger and malnutrition, it said both Ukraine and Russia should be able to export uh, food grains to the world. Second important element, I think, is also to remember the. paragraph records ukraine as war mm. many other statements have used the word ukraine crisis and when we have usage of war along with another paragraph mentioning need to respect the territorial sanctity of territorial sovereignty now there are minor of uh, you know language changes which i'm sure people who will analyze the final declaration and look at how ukraine was handled will appreciate india's uh, inserting of very uh, consciously selective words that really communicate uh, what is the position that g20 countries could together adopt mm. well now professor jang uh, it has been reported that some western leaders try to um record much more harsh language uh regarding russia in the statement but eventually you know we are seeing this statement that uh that's been put into paper and published um what does that tell us about the g20 do you think well i think um the uh declaration uh and also the behind the scene uh, negotiations mm. they indicate uh first uh the rising conflict between the west and the non-western powers mm-hmm. or the global south yeah and uh, because of the rise of the rest uh, i think uh, you will begin to see widening uh views on key issues in, uh, that include of course the ukraine issue uh climate change issue development development issues uh, the debt issues and uh, so the west non western voices have been rising you know and so that is uh, a major trend of the uh, the the g20 group you know they can no longer agree on many things and uh, secondly i think um, the result of the declaration uh, as especially reflected by its statement on the ukraine war shows the end of western primacy mm. the west can no longer dictate you know non western powers they can have their views aired and also reflected in the joint statement you know so this is a major progress i think achieved by the by 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 non western rising powers and uh, that unfortunately also shows that um uh it's increasingly difficult if not possible for the g20 group to achieve unity on many issues mm. and uh, the g20 unfortunately is premised on global unity 
you know. So and it when it was created in 2008 uh, and also in 2009, uh, the group indeed performed very well. You know, they they they, they indeed coordinate all the member states coordinate their economic financial policies, and then they resolve the financial crisis uh, that triggered the creation of the G20. But since then, because of power shift, we begin to see rising, uh, I would say, differences between uh, non-Western countries and Western countries. And uh, they, they can no longer reach consensus on anything. You know, They can reach broad and vague statements, but they can no longer coordinate their actions and actually get things done. Mm. So this is the the future uh, prospect of the G20. You know, mm. uh, the rise of the rest really has a lot of implications, and one of them is to actually uh, create greater divide between the West and the, the non-Western world, mm. and that could be a problem for the G20. Well, you're listening to World Today on CDTN Radio. We'll go to a short break, but when we come back, we will discuss the original mission of the G20. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Continue with our discussion. Uh, as Professor uh, Zhang Bahui had earlier said, uh, the G20 was created uh, under the background of the 1998 financial crisis. Uh, they started gathering in 1999, but then the, uh, the G20 leaders' uh, first summit actually happened in 2008 in Washington. Now, Professor Singh, uh, what was the mission uh, that was set for the block by two thousand and eight, and why did that? Uh, did they choose that mission? Newcon, uh, as you mentioned yourself, mm. there were two sets of uh, financial crises. First, the East Asian mm. financial crisis, followed by the global slowdown, and that was the backdrop in which first the finance minister and central bank uh, chiefs, mm. and then later the national leaders started meeting. So clearly the focus to begin with was to direct and manage the macroeconomic trends of global economy. Over a period of time, of course, we understand uh, as the views of uh, emerging economies and other countries started coming into what was originally the G7 template that had expanded into G20, a lot of other issues have started also coming in. So today you can see <clears throat> these leaders leaders discussing education, healthcare, trade, all kinds of uh, several other issues of digital uh, infrastructure and so on. Uh, fundamentally, if you see, the answer lies again in the final declaration that was issued yesterday, mm. saying that the G20 fully understood that the main responsibility of geoeconomics was something it should have focused on primarily, and should not have focused on issues of geopolitics, which has seen much more polarization over a period of time. But because this increasing polarization of geopolitics impacts on mega or macro trends in geoeconomics, is why the G20 still needs to also engage with issues that are 
not immediately uh, primarily focused on geoeconomics and the issues of geoeconomics in that sense mm. and they have therefore expanded and uh, because ukraine crisis have clearly created a, a global economic challenges of uh, finance fertilizer food and fuel shortages and price hikes uh, it becomes integral to uh, discussions of uh, g20 as to how to manage trade investments and best practices reformations in multilateral development banks and so on how to privilege and then share the digital technologies education and healthcare and so on becomes significant because geopolitics is becoming increasingly complex and therefore they need to also look at those issues but they understand that the primary focus for them should remain management of macroeconomics mm. well professor jang um for last year's uh, summit in Indonesia in Bali as well as for this year's summit um there are countries who argue that uh, like China who argued that the G20 is a platform for um for the economy for global governance and shouldn't be an arena for geopolitics for example the war in Ukraine but there are also uh, countries like some western countries who argue that we should uh, issue a stronger um position regarding Russia in our statement i mean uh professor jang is the g20 still pursuing the mission uh, uh you know set by leaders back in 2008 well i think so uh but the point is um the g20 uh, is created to uh you know tackle all kinds of issues facing mm. the mankind and uh, they they have to you know um look into very controversial issues like the Ukraine war which is as people say is a geopolitical issue you cannot just separate the so economic issues uh global governance issues from so called uh geopolitical issues you know they are intertwined you know uh, the the geopolitical issues affect how countries cooperate or even whether they can cooperate on other issues mm. you know And so that's the G20's dilemma. You know, it, it is created as a preeminent global institution to resolve all kinds of issues. You know, but unfortunately, uh, when it was created, the context was conducive for the achievement of its core missions. Because then, the international politics was defined by cooperation. You know, because that was. the age of global governance interdependence and so the g20 didn't face very salient geopolitical issues back then you mm-hmm. know it was confronted primarily by uh, economic issues like uh, the global financial crisis of 2008 2009 uh, but unfortunately geopolitics uh, has returned mm-hmm. uh, in the following decade in the 2010 uh, and now uh, geopolitics defines everything now we are living in the middle of a new cold war okay so the g20 cannot escape from that you know it's impossible to say we only talk about economic issues but we should avoid uh geopolitical issues that's totally impossible you know because mm-hmm. the major drivers of world politics now is geopolitical competition between the great powers mm-hmm. okay and that is unfortunately the problem for the g20 you know because uh, everything's linked you know if uh, the leading powers of the world if they are geopolitical rivals if they're strategic rivals it is very difficult for them to cooperate on so called other issues okay well, mm-hmm. and so that's why the g20 has become 
increasingly mm. ineffective. Mm. It is now merely a platform for talking. You know, uh, they can no longer take coordinated, decisive actions to resolve anything. You know, um, and mm. um, so that's the unfortunate reality uh, facing the G20. Well, as a lot of people have argued, the G20 does need a uh, reform, but that'll be a topic for another hour. Um, let's take a look at the statement or the remarks by Chinese uh, Premier Li Qiang uh, at the summit. Um, he called for unity among G20 countries uh, in his speech at the summit. Uh, here I quote, the G20 needs unity instead of division, cooperation instead of confrontation, and inclusion instead of exclusion. Now, Professor Singh, how, how should we understand the background of um, Premier Li Qiang's remarks? And what does that tell us about you know, China's understanding of G20 as a bloc? I think it is the same thing that Indian Prime Minister in the mm -hmm. very opening remarks also underlined the challenge of uh, increasing polarization of geopolitics. That is definitely a challenge. And the period of pandemic followed by Ukraine war has exacerbated that kind of challenge much more uh, because of, uh, you know, enormous amount of uh, sanctions uh, and censor that Russia has faced. Mm -hmm. Russia is an important member of G20. And of course, uh, several other countries have uh, sought to stay neutral uh, and not uh, side with uh, either side, uh, either the United States or Russia. And that has definitely caused increased complications uh, in terms of uh, geopolitics becoming a kind of a greater divide. But at the same time, I think one need also to appreciate that the north-south divide has virtually been uh, reduced enormously. Professor Zhang, back to the statement by Chinese Premier Li Qiang. Uh, how do you understand his statement and uh, why do you think he specifically mentioned unity, cooperation and inclusion? Well, uh, the fun foundation of the G20 mm. rests on cooperation. You know, that, that's a, what it's all about. You know. mm. uh, it was created as a preeminent you know, global governance body, you know, uh, even though it doesn't have its own, uh, as Professor Singh said, enforcement capabilities. But in 2008-2009, it succeeded in coordinating macroeconomic policies of the member states, and then they resolved the financial crisis. So the, the, ver the G20 is defined by cooperation, but unfortunately, we live in the age of computation. Mm. That's the antithesis of cooperation. You know, the most powerful countries, uh, not to mention China and the United States, but also, you know, to be honest, right, China and India. You know, mm -hmm. they, they 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 have a lot of conflict. You know, they are rivals. You know, they are competition-driven. You know, their relationship, and so those uh, new dynamics of world politics, unfortunately, undermine the G20. And so many countries, in particular, of other countries, not the the great powers great power members of the group, uh, they are forced to choose sides, you know, and um, Chinese premier said, you know, uh, we should, you know, uh, focus everything on cooperation and uh, so we can avoid co uh, competition. And, uh, of course, uh, whether, you know, the, the other leading powers of the group uh, respond to that or not, that's a questionable, you know, because ultimately and, and unfortunately, international politics 
is defined by the actions policies of the great powers, mm-hmm. not by the second tier or middle powers. You know, and so let's hope for the best. You know, and hopefully all the member states can see that only unity can enable them to overcome many of the biggest challenges facing the mankind. You know, mm-hmm. development issues, climate change issues. Uh, but whether the great powers can put global interests above their national interests. Uh, remains to be seen. Mm, Indeed, we certainly hope uh, to see more cooperation and unity. Thank you for talking to us. That was Swara Singh, Professor of International Relations at Jawaharlal Nehru University, Zhang Baohui, Professor of Government and International Affairs at Lingnan University in Hong Kong. That's all the time we have for this special edition of World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.